0: Hello my friends and welcome back to the Kokora Movement Podcast. On this episode we have Dr. Sam Hodis. He is a traveling physical therapist. Right now he's based out of Phoenix, Arizona. He is also one of the instructors for Integrated Kinetic Neurology. We had a really great conversation so I'm just going to get this party started. Friends, before we get started on this podcast with Sam, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about mindset and the mindset, most specifically, that revolves around your comfort zone because that's been really baking my brain lately. So, my question is, how do you get people out of their comfort zone? Because once you leave that zone of comfort, then that's when you truly grow as a human being. And if we could just get everybody to be uncomfortable for just a little bit then they would ultimately be more comfortable later on so I heard uh, somebody talking about that very subject today and it's really interesting to me so you know there's a lot of I know a lot of successful people and when certain individuals talk about these successful people they're just like man they're really well off Did they come from money are they just really lucky Did, or what But then in that same paragraph, they started talking about, oh, when this person started this pizza place, they were in there busting their ass every day for two, three years. And then all of a sudden, they're just not around that much. But they, man, they're really lucky and they really got it worked out, you know, and they're just really, but they, they're, so they're acknowledging the fact that this person started something. They went out of their comfort zone and they started something that they were passionate about and they went all in and put in so much work and so much effort that eventually they hired enough people to where they didn't have to be there anymore. But then the people only see the success of this person. Oh, they have a nice house and they have a nice car. They're doing really well. They must have really came from money or they, they had some kind of outside help. So there's this weird theory that it didn't come from something intrinsic it came from something extrinsic meaning that help was provided for them to make that process of them being successful easier that's just not how it works so the, what I have learned from my time as a mixed martial artist and my time as a CrossFit athlete and my time as an independent business owner is the work that you put in your success is reflective of that and so if you're sitting there busting your ass for three to four years, and then all of a sudden, the outside people looking in are seeing you as this phenomenal overnight success, then you put the work in and they didn't. And so they aren't afraid, they, or I don't know what they're afraid of, but you know, everybody starts somewhere. Every successful person starts somewhere. And you gotta put in the effort in order to receive the fruits of your labor. That's just the way that it works. And it, I don't know, chaps my ass. So acknowledge their success. Be like, that person worked their ass off to get where they are. Don't demean it by saying, you know, like something like along the lines of, oh, they just did steroids and now their pizza business is successful. That's not how this works. Okay, that rant is over. Let's get into this podcast. And without further ado, Sam... Hotis. Sam Hodes, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, man. Um, pleasure.
0: So let's get a little background on you because I don't know a whole lot about you. I know of you from uh, Instagram being associated with integrated kinetic neurology. So let's uh, talk about your background a little bit and what got you into um, physical therapy in the first place.
1: Well, I was a undecided um, undergrad student, and I wanted some job security. So I was thinking of uh, medical professionals, professions. I, I went back and forth about athletic training, physical therapy, and nursing. Um, all of those professions, you get to spend a lot of time with your patients and your clients. So that's why I kind of leaned toward those um, over medical school. With well, that being said, I, I really don't know if I, was, uh, I had it in me for medical school. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I just wanted to spend time with people. Uh, I liked wellness and fitness and all that, and uh, I just thought that was a good route. I went with that one over athletic training at the end of the day because um, at that time I thought athletic tra- uh, trainers were starting with uh, high school and then junior college and college and maybe the pros. Now I'm learning athletic trainers do can do a lot more than that, but uh, yeah. that's why I went with PT. Right on. pretty much. I don't have any crazy story about uh, you know tearing my ACL in high school and you know, meeting an amazing physical therapist. I actually never saw a physical therapist until I started shadowing some. Right on. Interesting.
0: So then um, what, yeah. what got you uh, connected with IKN?
1: I Ryan and yeah. uh, Kyle. Kyle, you've had on your podcast. Yep. We were in the same class in physical therapy school. Oh, okay. Um, Ryan always seemed like he was just a really, really uh, intellectual guy. Uh, very hard worker. And Kyle, Kyle had some interesting mentors while in physical therapy school. And he was real kind of secretive about a lot of the stuff you do. We used to just call him voodoo and, and, and say, what the hell are you doing, Kyle? What's all this crazy stuff you do? Um, and then years later where everyone's doing it and it's, it's, it's an awesome form of uh, or awesome lens to look at uh, rehab and performance through. I'm glad he taught it to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's some really fun stuff, and I want to kind of start unpacking that a little bit. Um, where are you from originally?
1: I am from the land, Cleveland, Ohio.
0: Right on, and then you ended Born up in, and raised. You ended up in Phoenix, huh?
1: Well, I'm am a traveling physical therapist, so okay. uh, in the last three years, I worked in small town Texas, uh, Phoenix once before, Las Vegas, San Jose. Los Angeles, and now I'm back in Phoenix because it was probably of all those places, one of the places I liked the most.
0: Interesting because I've lived in Arizona my whole entire life, and Phoenix isn't one of those places that I would like the most.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you've had 30 years of snow and yeah. seven months of winter, Phoenix is pretty much amazing.
0: Yeah, so we have snow up here, but it's not too bad, I guess. Like we've had, you know, some cataclysmic snowstorms where buildings are collapsing and stuff like that um oh you're in
1: Flagstaff
0: yeah yeah so we had uh we had a pretty pretty big one this year it wasn't too bad um but you know yeah the the yeah there's places that snow a lot more and I don't want to live there you know (laughs) (laughs) I
1: got engaged in Flagstaff this year
0: oh did you congratulations
1: yeah yeah thank you thank you
0: right on yeah I like Flagstaff a lot it's kind of um I feel like I'm on an island up here. Like, there's not very many people that think or talk like me up here. So I'm just kind of yeah, small all town. There. Yeah, yeah. So I I uh, try to travel a lot, and that's part of why I got the podcast. I find people that I'm interested in and just ask them a bunch of questions about stuff, and you know, off to the races. And that's how I build my network from there.
1: Awesome. I've been listening to some of your episodes. I've been, I've enjoyed them.
0: Right on. Thank you, sir. Um, so let's uh, talk about your back injury. How would you injure your back?
1: Well, before physical therapy school, I, I thought this was in the beginning of the online coaching craze back uh, about seven or eight years ago. Um, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to get strong before I go to PT school. I'm going to hire an online coach. Hmm. And uh, I hired an online powerlifting coach. He was a great guy. Uh, I still talk to him this day, to this day. But you know he put me on some, some tough programs. We started with some Wendler 531. And I think that was a really good program for me, powerlifting-wise cause it was a very gradual increase in, in load. Um, but then I started doing West side barbell and all like the really aggressive powerlifting programs. I was not a high school athlete. I didn't really have much of a base I would say. And I was just aggressive. I was testing my maxes all the time. I was just maybe sending him an occasional video of my form, but it was, it was really shit form when I would get up to submaximal loads and, uh, I didn't know much back then, you know, exercise science. I, I I knew a lot of anatomy and some of my prerequisite classes, but I I had no clue, you know, my back would hurt. And then a few days later, it would be, it'd be better. And I'd go back and test my one rep max. And it really set me up for uh, about probably six or seven years of some pretty bad low back pain. And then immediately after this started, I went to physical therapy school and If any PTs are listening to this podcast, they know in the first year and a half, two years of PT school, you are sitting there and you're studying in a library a lot. Yeah. And uh, I felt pretty, pretty, pretty hopeless at the time.
0: Yeah. um, Um, and God, that's so, that's so interesting because there is a lot of online coaching, but there's not really any assessment. And I think that, you know, No, not at all. Yeah. What I'm really moving towards uh, in, uh my practice especially is just really focusing on the assessment and starting people where they're at because I think that's incredibly important. And, you know, I've um, I actually uh just finished up coaching CrossFit uh indefinitely, but I've been coaching CrossFit for the last nine years. And um, mm-hmm. you know, that's a I'm just gonna call it what it is. That's a sport that has virtually no assessment whatsoever, you know, and just kind of throws people into the fire. So yeah, I know where you're coming from. Um and yeah, back injuries are rough, man. So, um, and how long did you, that was seven years ago, you said, right?
1: Probably around seven years ago. Uh, I And I didn't understand pain at the time as well. Uh, so, you know, you combine, you know, physical injury of my back. I, some doctor told me after looking at an x-ray that I had some lithesis, which you don't even learn too much about PG school. You learn about the opposite of that. which just means, you know, one of my discs slid backwards a little bit. Uh, and you know, so that made me start worrying even more because now I have a title to what I had. Uh, then you go to PT school. I wasn't the best studier at first. So stress We're combining lots of, uh, life stressors probably wasn't eating as good in the beginning of PT school because of all the studying and stress. And one thing after another, you're sitting there with chronic pain where sometimes you're laying in the fetal position on the floor every, every few weeks.
0: Yeah. Cause I, uh, hurt my back back in 2013. I was, uh, mm-hmm. Filming a guy who was walking down the stairs on his hands, which theoretically should be more difficult than me walking down the stairs backwards, but that's obviously (laughs) not true because I was the one that got injured. He didn't. So I took uh, too big of a step backwards, and I was on the third step instead of the last one. So just really wrenched my back, and then, you know, took uh, took like three or four days off um was feeling pretty good and then went to do uh three by five back squats and i had uh 315 on the bar and on my fifth squat i stopped at the bottom and was like hmm, i should probably dump this on the ground and then i dumped it and then i was like i'm probably just gonna lay here for a few hours <laughs> see how that goes yep. But then, you know it was my uh then girlfriend uh now wife it was her birthday so i had to suck it up and go put on some nice pants and take her out to dinner. And, you know, it was just awful. And so it took me a long time to recover from that. So let's talk about uh, your recovery process. Did you kind of heal yourself with your own knowledge or how did that work?
1: You know, I, I, I like to think of my recovery from my, my chronic low back pain in, in stages. Um, in the beginning, I felt very hopeless because it, it just seemed so odd to me. I was surrounded by physical therapists and future physical therapists. And nobody can really give me any good advice. You know, just the classic, oh, you should maybe go lay off the weights a little bit, do some mobility training, some stability. So I would say maybe midway in physical therapy school. I mean, obviously at this point, I wasn't deadlifting and squatting anymore. Um, Maybe I should have been, but in hindsight, um, I I stopped all that. I thought maybe I would never do that again because like I said, that x-ray showed there was actually changes in my spine. Um, The the x-ray tech that told me about it made it sound terrible like i was some 80 year old man at at 23 years old um there so there was a point where i i stopped really all true resistance training and i was doing all the core stability exercises that you see on instagram like so many of them i would go to the gym at 60 minutes of just core stability um hip mobility maybe T spine mobility you know the the stuff that's that is good for people with low back pain but it's not the end end all be all and i will say that probably got me. A certain amount better, but every time I'd go back to well, loaded barbell training, it would still come back because I really, truthfully, wasn't building any resilience. I was just building probably really good isometric <laughs> planking strength, but I wasn't building resilience to the actual load right. uh, of life or, or the training uh, style that I enjoy. Um, so that was, that was one part. Then, obviously, in my third year of physical therapy school, then diving into pain science. Um, that was huge. And just, as you know, just the knowledge of pain as an experience or output from our brain is pretty empowering when you can, you don't have to look at your diagnosis or your spinal, you know, degeneration as a, as a, a death, uh, as a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just is that, that's the only reason. And you can kind of think, see, see things as a little bit more of a complex, complex process and accumulation of a lot of things that go on in your life. So I would say that learning about pain was probably the the next step that took me a little bit farther. So let's say the core stability stuff took me, you know, 30% better uh, pain science and just having the knowledge about the experience of pain took me another 20, 25% better at the time. Um,
0: well, that's a, that's a thing that, we have to kind of deal with a lot as practitioners is people just really get married to that diagnosis. Right. So like, Oh, I have, I have this or I have that or, and then they, it becomes like part of their identity. Well, I can't do this because of this, or I can't do that because of that. And so uh, just, I feel like naming something sometimes becomes even more detrimental than the actual injury because then that's what they call it whenever they can't do something.
1: Yeah, I just left a woman's house today who uh, we were talking about the numbness in her legs and she's trying to describe it to me and she's like, wait a second, let me pull out my phone. And she had this big, uh, no, in her notes app, she had this big thing, you know, with just the word neuropathy yeah, or, uh, you know, radiculopathy. And she was talking about the background of this and how all the doctors are calling it this. And you, you, that just it's good for me to start a conversation with that person, educating them uh, about what they're feeling. And it's not like a death sentence, the death sentence is the phrase I was trying to think of earlier. Right. Uh, And it's more than that. And I would say after learning about pain science, um, doing the, you know, the strength and exercise, then slowly getting back to, you know, heavy training, just challenging myself a little bit uh, slowly at a time. That was something somewhere that brought me up to that next level. But I still, I would still have pain. I I'd feel pretty good. I'd, I'd deadlift, I'd squat, I'd feel a lot better than I used to feel, but there would still be a, still be shit going on. And, and you know, pain is normal and I'll, I'll still have it occasionally now and then if I, if I push it too hard, but there was still something missing. And uh, I think that's where the neurology, the um, the neuroscience, and uh, the IKN kind of came, came into play at the end there.
0: Yeah. So that's a thing, the, the, the strength training thing, because that's a, the, whatever it is, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, whatever it is, there's like this anxiety to be as strong as possible, as fast as possible, right? So,
1: oh yeah, mm-hmm. one of
0: the one of my uh, uh, favorite quotes uh, from Andrea Spina is um, "Change in tissues equals force over time." You know, so I started right. CrossFit uh, in 2010, and it took me until 2018 to accumulate a 500 pound deadlift. You know what I mean? It takes time. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to rush that, which is what a lot of people do, they're like, oh shit. Then they start getting into that powerlifting world and they're like, oh, that's what these people are doing. How do I get there? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to start with five, three, one. And then I'm going to start testing one reps and see wherever I'm at. Where the reality is you should probably just squat and you should probably just deadlift. And you should probably lift a little more sometimes and a little less sometimes. And that's just kind of the way it is.
1: And that's how I look at it now. I mean, I try to still program, but uh, if I'm feeling a certain way, I'm going to modify you know, my program for the day. But yeah. uh, now I'm finally at the point where I, I have the intelligence and the awareness enough to push it when I know I can, uh, back off when I know I can. But definitely if there was one, uh, you know, a, a part of this big rehab pie for me, it was definitely strength training, but strength training appropriately and uh, really using my head and not letting some PDF of a program that I'm supposed to be following dictate, dictate my whole training.
0: Right. And so then there comes a point where, like I said, I hit that 500 pound deadlift and I hit that Mm -hmm. really heavy snatch and that really overhead, heavy overhead squat. And that, you know, and then after a while you're just like, okay, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, am I, I'm no longer competing. So why am I getting (laughs) stronger? Right. So like, I'm, I'm strong enough. So why don't we just maintain that strength? And if I feel like I'm not as strong that day, then I won't lift as heavy that day. And if I feel really awesome, then I'll go lift more, you know? So it's like, it's a, after a while, it just becomes like a, why are we doing this type of question? And, you know, my whole thing is to uh, increase my longevity and make sure that I don't need a walker or a cane, or, you know, if I fall off a, a curb when I'm 80 that I don't break a hip because I spent all this time, you know, also building up uh, bone tissue from, you know, doing heavy back squats and stuff like that.
1: Right. And I, I was just listening to you uh, and a uh, DJ from strong camp or of strong camps. Yeah. Uh, whatever his Instagram name is. And he was saying all these people are getting so strong, but when are you ever going to use that? You know, he's probably one of the many, the few people that actually use some of his crazy strength yeah. you know, doing all that stuff that he does. But most people, you know, right now I'm I'm working in home health and I'm seeing people in their seventies, eighties, and nineties. Strength is so important. <laughs> they didn't need to be power their whole life. They just need to have strength to be able to do what they uh, need to do and uh, and maybe a little bit more for that resilience piece and that bone density piece. Right. So right. I, I yeah, I, I have I have goals of getting stronger because it's a mental thing after so many years of back pain. I wanna I, you know, me getting stronger and improving my lift is a really good mental win for me. But I know I'm not trying to push it to the, to the points of, you know, world-class strength. That's not what I'm going for. I'm just trying to be uh, resilient to injuries. And, you know, I don't want to be the guy that bends down again and, and jacks his up. I just want to feel good. Yeah. And I enjoy exercise. So I want to be able to do that. I see um, how much, how crazy someone's life can be later on if they are strong. So I just want that for myself I want that for everyone I see. So that's, Great. I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm giving uh handing kettlebells to people of advanced age and older adults because I know strength is, is so important.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. And so you probably see that. Um, and it encourages you almost every day with the population of people that you deal with, you know, like this, I don't want to be that way and I don't want um, anybody else to be this way. So I'm going to just keep working right now. Like essentially put money in the bank. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's right. That, and speaking of every day, put like, a little bit of money in that bank.
0: Right. And then speaking on DJ Murakami, that guy's crazy. He's just like, I'm going to go hike around in the mountains and pick up shit. It's just like, look, I found this yeah. signpost with a chunk of concrete on the end of it. I'm going to try and do a windmill with that. And you're just like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I uh, yeah
1: he's a beast, man. <laughs> he is. Uh, but I, I like what, I like what he was saying. Cause he's not, he's not a beast because he does that stuff all the time. He has structure in his training. He probably does some traditional weightlifting, but that's, you know, those are some cool things you can do if you're strong. So I, right. I love it. I, I'm and, a big
0: fan. He uh, really encouraged me to kind of change my, the way that I think about the gym space to And so now I transition to think about it as a place where you acquire skill and acquire strength in order to do stuff outside of the gym. And so that's why, yeah, was, yeah. that's why I started uh, bouldering, um, you know, I hate running. I'm a, I'm a strong guy. So running's terrible. So like what I do now is I just, uh, you know, go out to the basketball courts a couple hundred yards away from my house and play basketball. You know, that's explosive lateral movement. It's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. an hour to an hour and a half of, of sprinting. And so I get my cardio in, but I'm not just, you know, dragging my face through the rocks, trying to run five miles in a row. You know, I'm just out there having a good time and playing. And I think it's more beneficial to me to be able to do that.
1: It sounds like me and you uh, think of basketball in the same way. Uh, I used to get made fun of in, in grad school because when we, our whole class would get together and play basketball is pretty much just me doing uh, suicides. I just yeah. really did it for the cardio, <laughs> the cardio and the change of the direction and the lateral lateral movements. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny.
0: And so uh, one thing, <laughs> One reason why I I, uh, started playing basketball is because I've been working really hard on trying to get out of my comfort zone and do something that I really, really suck at. And so the the bouldering was something that I really wanted to do. And uh, my prerequisite strength and mobility actually really contributed quite well to that. So, you know, I'm not the best at it, but I'm not really, really bad at it either. Um, But I was visiting, (laughs) I I was visiting my friend Andy Shea a couple weeks ago and we're uh, putting together our own workshop. And we took a break and went to the basketball court. And man, the very first shot I threw was just like in the movies that ball went up and over the back of the thing and like hit the fence behind the basketball hoop. And I was like, okay, I'm really, really bad at this. And so, you know. What was that, that
1: movie? Along, <laughs> Along Came Polly?
0: Yeah. So like, that's exactly what it is. I was like throwing it at the bottom of the Raindrop. basketball hoop. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. And so, you know. Uh, I
1: feel you, man. That's That's pretty much me.
0: Yeah. So I made probably 17 out of 200 shots and I was, got home and got a basketball and that's what I do you know, three or four times a week.
1: <laughs> My goal is to look and kind of move like an athlete, but I am no athlete. I didn't play any uh, high school sports. I went to a private school that was really far away and I had to take the bus. Um, and one time I, I saw that you interviewed Dr. Perry Nicholson. I went to a rock tape course of his uh, when I was a student and he, and if you've been to any of his courses, whether it be rock tape or primal movement chains, he'll get you up there and try to push you around a little bit, testing your stability. And he, he pushed me around real easy, and he called me a, uh, a, a Corvette with a Prius engine, and that really, <laughs> that really hit me hard. Oh, and man. then all my friends started calling me Sagittal Sam because <laughs> I couldn't get out of the transverse plane.
0: Oh, man. So
1: ever since then, that was probably five years ago, I've dedicated myself to, you know, like you post a lot, uh, expanding uh, my movement variability and just right. getting out of the, the normal plane of motion. And I think that's, uh, that's, I guess that's probably been a big piece of my pain, too. Yeah. And,
0: one. you know, that's uh before I started CrossFit, I was in the uh, uh, mixed martial arts. So I would, you know, that's where I had a lot of uh prerequisite movement and mobility from mm-hmm. that. And so, but then I started oh, yeah. CrossFit and did that for eight years and, you know, just all in that sagittal plane. And so once I started exploring this movement, that's what I needed was that uh, contralateral core stability. So that's what I'm really focusing on. Um, right now, I'm really focusing on the the ipsilateral stuff and really kind of uh, playing around with like uh, all the stuff that uh, David Weck is posting and, you know, DJ Murakami and this other guy, uh, Savage Protocols. I can't think of his name, Christopher or something. But, you know, they're mm-hmm. really focusing on, um, they call it coiling, but um, bracing the core from really awkward and weird positions, you know, so like... Mm-hmm and it's really interesting and I'm getting really interesting results from it. And I like it a lot, but that's part of, um, what my, uh, uh, the tagline for my, uh, personal fitness program is, uh, don't be a liability, right? So you need to be able to pick stuff up from weird angles, you know, but I think there's levels to it. Like you need to figure out how to organize your spine and keep your core nice and stable. But then once you get good at that, I feel like, you should progress into being able to uh, stabilize and generate torque from really weird and awkward angles, which is what, you know, DJ working on right now and I'm really experimenting with.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I, I think this is probably one of the bigger challenges in the rehab world now, because, you know, these topics like you're saying right now are, are very polarizing and people swing from left to right. People swing from, you know, the neutral spine camp, all, all lifting has to be like that to the DJ strong camp camp where we want to do all the most awkward lifts. Um, so I think it's really important that as trainers and movement therapists and everything like that, we need to figure out how we're going to sequence these things. I think yeah. that's important uh, to not go too far mm-hmm. on either side. You know, a lot of people need to figure out how to brace their core, keep a neutral spine and, and deadlift the kettlebell off the floor. 100%. First. And they need to yep. get pretty, they need to be pretty good at that before we start having them do, you know, uh, I don't know, twisted spine, things. single yeah. legs, deadlifts,
0: <laughs> you know, just
1: all that stuff. All, But all that stuff is really important in building a resilient body down the road. Right. But I think there is levels and there's steps to these things.
0: Right. And I agree. And that's where I uh, believe that the assessment's really important. And so uh, the way that I'd equate it to, because like I said, from a martial arts background is belt levels. Right. And so like, yeah. there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's like a lot of the population that you are working with, you probably have to earn your white belt, right? So that means you have to go through the basic developmental kinesiology patterns. Like this is how you roll. This is how you brace. This is how you crawl. This is how you brace to pick up a, a, a solid metal object off the ground. And then eventually after time, because like you said, uh, uh, the change in tissues equals force over time, then you're able to start progressing to these other things, like from a kettlebell to maybe a trap bar, then from a trap bar, maybe to a barbell. And then after a while, you can start doing stagger stance stuff. And then after a while, you can start doing single leg stuff. And then, you know what I mean? So there's like progressions to this thing. And I think that that's, uh, that's what's missing in um, whatever whatever it is, personal training, Uh, physical therapy whatever it is there's there's progressions that are missing and there's just those camps like you were talking about
1: yeah i would say in my profession almost all of that's missing to to be honest with you we're we're not i mean i i think my generation of pts and 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 the good ones are are loading people up but i mean that that white belt that you just talked about just even a loaded deadlift or something like that sometimes that's missing so a lot of people go to a a busy PT clinic, a chain, and they don't even get their white belt, unfortunately. Right. It's pretty sad.
0: It is. And, and oh, that's such a bummer. And so that's, that's uh, I think it's, there's a really important shift that's happening, um, especially between, between uh, chiropractors and PTs, where they're starting to drop insurance and do cash-based only so they can start running their practice the way that they want to, which is uh, essentially yep. spending more time with people, because I think spending time with people is so important.
1: Yeah. Like I said before, education is so important. Even for me in PT school, until we started to learn about pain and I could I could read some of my own books, um, I felt pretty hopeless. And I, I say this to a lot of people. I say, you know, when they're talking about their MRI, their degenerative disc disease, I say, listen, uh, DJD or wear and tear in your spine is pretty much like wrinkles on your face. Yeah. Are you going to give a surgery? Well, some people will. <laughs> a lot of people at Coachella this weekend probably have a uh, surgery for that stuff. But <laughs> I mean, r- DJD in your spine or degenerative disc disease is really just wrinkles on the inside. Yep. So that's how we need to look at things. It's a part of growing and aging and we just need to build a robust, uh, build robust humans as therapists and personal trainers. So those things don't lead to chronic pains. And okay. we have to make sure that these people know that pain is normal.
0: Yep. And, as long as
1: we we have tools to, to get out of pain, and uh, keep going forward,
0: right. And so that's a that's a part of our jobs as practitioners is to tell them that we can get them out of pain. And I think what's really important is to educate them on the fact that it might take some time to get them out of pain, because uh, mm-hmm. you know just from a massage therapist's point of view you know people come into me and they're like, "Well, I just want you to dig into this real hard and and do some deep fix tissue me. because that's what I need." And then they get upset because I don't fix them in the first like session and then they never come back. I'm like, "Okay, you know, like this is it's really really difficult." So like if I have somebody that comes in and they have uh low back pain from some kind of neuromuscular dysfunction, then I can get rid of that in a session. But if it's an actual injury, that takes a long time. It's changing in tissue oh, yeah. force over For sure. time. And that's what I keep telling people. And they're just like, whatever, I'm going to go uh, get an injection or I'm going to go. And I'm like, whatever <laughs> it is. You you know. My life. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm sure that's really frustrating on your end. Cause there's the, the injection thing. That shit drives me crazy.
1: Yeah. I, I you know, injections uh, are the same as painkillers and, and all that stuff. It's really just uh I look at a cortisone injection or or some uh, pain pain prescri- prescription pain medication as a opening a window of opportunity. So there's a reason the first time you get an injection, you're good for a year. You know, some people. And then the next time you get it, you're good for three months. Then you get your third injection a few years down the road, and you're good for two days. And then you get your fourth, and you're you're not good at all. Those injections, if you're going to get them, they should be opening a window of opportunity for some side of some some type of movement therapy or something like that. Uh, it's when people get injections and they just sit on their ass. Nothing's going to change. You didn't change any tissues. You didn't, you didn't address the neurology of, of, of the pain. You didn't really do anything. So that's why I try to stress that. but yeah. it's tough It's tough because doctors, medical doctors aren't, aren't saying those things. Yeah. Um, I see so many people that get injections and surgeries before they even try any therapy. And that, that makes me so sad. They could have saved so much money and so much you know, pain and, and, getting cut into if they would just would have tried stuff but unfortunately not every physical therapist or uh chiropractor or massage therapist is the same so trying physical therapy or physical therapy failed is a uh, kind of a false statement because you never know who you went to right and how busy that person was and whatnot
0: yeah and then it just all depends on how that person educated you too because you know just from everything that i've learned you know, I've had, I've gone through multiple rock tape courses. I use this example a lot. And every single one of them is like, hey, tape the system. And then I finally, like, watched a video that Dr. Perry Nicholson posted where he said, tape the system. And I'm like, okay. And, but it took me like six or seven people to tell me that before I actually got it. You know what I mean? So then that means that you could go through that many practitioners before somebody says it a way that you need to hear it. And so I.
1: Yeah, you know, I, absolutely.
0: I liken it to, to boxing. Like everybody learns the jab a different way. No, like I can tell you one way and it won't make sense to somebody else. And then I have to figure out how to explain it to them. So you have to tell your stories in different ways to each person because each person registers that information differently, especially, especially with the amount of duress that they're in with whatever pain that they have.
1: Absolutely. And that's that, all of this conversation that we're having right now is kind of all, is what has led up to uh, really being involved with the neuroscience and the uh, IKN uh, approach with, with Dr. Ryan and Dr. Kyle, because, you know, you work with a lot of chronic, enough people in chronic pain, you you realize that it's not all the tissues. I know we're talking about tissues right now, but I realized pretty soon into my career that there's more going on with a lot of people. And I think there's more going on with me too. I would, you know, i for years I would go into a gym and stand over a barbell and my pain would be worse just from looking at the barbell or being in that environment. Right. So now that I have the tools in terms of how I educate someone and, and what I do to address, like you said, with the rock tape analogy that you use more systems of the body or the whole system of the human body regard instead of just in isolation and really showing people how, you know, There's lots of factors that are influencing their pain. Um, And being able to address more of those factors, that's really helped me in in working with people in in pain, especially chronic pain.
0: Right. And so then you said something that I thought was really important probably about 20 minutes ago where you were talking about Mm -hmm. the load. You know, so the load is a broad term. So it could be the load of the barbell. It could be the load of the kettlebell. It could be the load of your life. It could be the load of your relationship oh, yeah. or your job or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So that all could be contributing to your pain. And so what I'm experiencing a lot now based on uh, some of the education I received earlier this year is that a lot of pain is um, emotional and related to the emotions that we have um you know acquired through the autobiography of our life you know and sometimes there's a certain load that's placed on you that triggers that emotion that then triggers that pain that you experienced at that time and so then it just like human beings are really complicated and weird and it's amazing that we know as much as we do and the more that we know the more we realize that we don't know shit and we're just still learning all this stuff
1: absolutely and sometimes in the, in the, in the world of therapy, the more we know about what is on our uh, MRI or X-ray is, is, is the worst. Yeah. Uh, it makes things worse uh, depending yeah. on how we, how we think about it. But yeah, I like that analogy. I've always used the, I, at, at IKN, we have a stress timeline and we just talk about all these stressors in your life that bring you up to that threshold and that threshold is your pain threshold. But uh, I also use the analogy of uh, all the things in your life filling up the bucket until it overflows and that's kind of your pain threshold but yeah. i like the analogy of load of yeah. load because you can think of a, a heavy squat as a part of that load and you can think of stress in your family or eating habits or sleeping habits as a part of that load also so yeah. I, I like that a lot i should we should make some sort of image with uh with, think, with weight yeah, we'll and figure it uh, out. <laughs> life stressors we'll figure yeah. something out we'll make an ebook. there's yeah, gonna be an ebook from this interview
0: i like it man um and <laughs> you know we even like the the stuff that we say you know like oh that guy's a pain in the neck you know what i mean or like the weight of the world on your shoulders or whatever it is you know like that or when somebody tells you something like you just say oh that's really heavy that's heavy duty you know what i mean it's all load yeah, so, yeah that makes
1: sense yeah. i mean think about it when as a, you're a massage therapist how many people have went up to you and says you know, they, they feel their traps, their upper traps and they're like, oh yeah, all, I, all my stress is up here. Yeah. People say that all the time. But for some reason, people only think it's your traps. Guess what? Your low back pain is just you, your output of, of pain due to those stressors as well. Right. Uh, a lot of the times, a lot of the time.
0: Right. Right. And it's a, uh, you know, God dang, there's so much <laughs> just that. So I had a, uh, one of my clients came in and he was like, well, I hurt my hamstring doing good mornings. And I think I tore it. And I'm like, I don't think you tore it. He's like, Well, why not? Because you weren't using a heavy load on your good mornings. You were still warming up. So you didn't tear your hamstring. And then he busts out that line Well, I was doing research online and I was looking at all these power lifters and they said that I tore my hamstring. And then he sends me a YouTube video of all these power lifters tearing their hamstrings, doing deadlifts and like powerlifting meets. I'm like, you were lifting like 65 pounds, not 800 pounds. Like you have, there's something that happened within your mechanics of your lift that caused that hamstring to be distressed. So it's not Mm -hmm. injured. It's just distressed. So we need to get you on the table and figure out why. And like, if you're like, if your hamstring tears, it's a thing and you know about it and you're, whole leg becomes black oh, yeah. and blue and you know there's a big old wad of muscle you know it's a thing
1: <laughs> you can definitely see a hamstring tear without a doubt
0: right you know i saw uh,
1: and in the way I a part of my assessment for that person in, in in terms of i'd look at their good morning their hinging and you know look at all i'd all the breakouts i'd also to to uh show him that there's other variables i might even look at his senses or or other things that were going on in mm-hmm. that environment uh i like to look at things as, from all the systems because pain is an experience or humans are a uh, multi-sensory creatures that yep. we go through life every movement we make is coming from uh information that our brain is getting through our senses and our proprioceptive system and and that information is given a, a meaning and that's what creates the output of movement so i i look at everything I, um since getting on with the IKN IKN guys and and helping teach with them, it's really broadened my assessment process and looking at more than just the physical body. Right. Uh, And you know, the muscles and the bones, I'm looking at much more than that now, including, you know, people's feelings about their injury, their, their mindsets, their, their senses, their breathing, obviously everything else.
0: Yeah. The breathing is really important. That was one that I learned early on. Um, Uh, Mm -hmm. specifically from the dynamic neuromuscular stabilization courses, you know, and, but that's a thing where if you're stressed out and you're breathing like shit and you're taking little panic breaths into your neck and your upper chest, then you're going to have neck pain because your neck isn't made to breathe. It's made to turn your head and support it and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, going back to, um, what you were talking about, like the eyes, I think the eyes is really important too. So I had a client recently who was, um, you know, having some uh, neck pain, and and you know, I figured out that it was from a rotational um, instability that she had going on, and it was from a car wreck that she had like ten years ago. And which way did it come from? Well, it hit me from the right hand side. So then you were looking from the right hand side. So that, so we experience trauma before, or we experience emotion before we experience thought. And so when you look and see that car coming. Then you experience that emotion, and then that impact hits you, and then there's that emotional damage from that injury.
1: Yeah, and if, and if it was never addressed 10 years later, it still might be a trigger of yours. Again, going back to that, that uh, pain stress timeline or the bucket, or our load analogy that we created tonight, you know whatever's going on with your, your emotions from, from that event or your sensory systems from that event is, is still a, another load stressing you uh and could be influencing your pain so during any uh significant event like a car accident our brain is take immediately takes in all the sensory information all of your thoughts everything from that event and it saves it it's called the neuro tag and that's why let's say looking to the to the right or to the left or whatever direction it was that might trigger some of her pain because it's those little things are probably they're now triggering that neurotag, which brings about all the same physical feelings that happen at that time too. Right. So that That's why something little like that can trigger pain or how me looking at a barbell at a, at a powerlifting gym could potentially trigger pain for me at, at times in my life. Because that, that significant event in my life had a lot of sensory information at the same time. Right. So.
0: And so what's interesting about that is I have a lot of people that come to me and are like, Oh, that just, that happened 15 years ago. That's not what it is. Like really, you know, that's a, or that scar is 20 years old. It's not affecting me. Or you know what I mean? It's just all these people they have. uh, So that's our job is to educate them. You know what I mean? And so God, we're just, we're just so loaded, full of weirdness. It's, it's, you need a lot of this information like you guys are teaching in order to really truly help people, you know? So like I look at whatever your education is, whether, and so what it sounds like either from PT school or massage school or the CrossFit education, you need to go get education outside of that in order to fill in the gaps of your understanding, you know, because even there's a reason why like David S Butler is still studying pain science is because we don't know everything yet. You know, we need to like. There's so much more that's involved with all that. And We need to keep expanding our knowledge and talking to people and learning from each other.
1: Yeah, we we need to we need to keep our eye on those guys in Australia and the NLI group because they're the they're the main people that are pushing this forward. Unfortunately, the rehab world uh, will be slow to adapt, but I hope years down the road, some of the stuff we're talking about is on the national physical therapy exam, and it's not a bunch of. 30-year-old stuff about, you know, electrical stimulation on the, the VMO muscle and all that crap. Uh, so <laughs> we, need to, we need to catch up with the science because the science is coming out that's showing that all this stuff make, makes a big difference in pain. But, you know, in, unless you have the desire to learn and spend your own money and learn more and you take a class like ours or, or the one you and Andy are developing, you're, you're not going to know this stuff. Not what they're teaching you.
0: Right. And so you are
1: left, you're left out of school. You're left with not that many tools. You're left with tools to help people that have acute pain. You're not left with that many tools to really help people, with the chronic pain population, which unfortunately is all a lot of people. Yeah.
0: And it's so, it's so interesting. Cause there's some, there's, I feel like there's a lot of practitioners out there that are really like pushing the envelope and going out and learning new stuff and, and, but I don't think that there is, you know, which is really interesting because I'm, I'm within this. I feel like it's a large community, but it might not be of physical therapists, massage therapists, and uh, chiropractors that are really pushing the envelope of what they know and how they're practicing it, you know? So, um, but just coming from, you know, Flagstaff, Arizona, like the the chiropractors here just aren't that great. They all do the same thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) So then, Clients just go from one to the next to the next, hoping that they'll feel better. Um, But all the ones that I talk to, like on my podcast or that I meet at these education courses, they're really spending time with people and really expanding their knowledge base and really trying to go outside the norms of the profession to really learn and hopefully make it, like you said, the standard.
1: Yeah, I think we're in the right direction. Um, and people like us who listen to podcasts and are on, on Instagram and, and go to a lot of courses, we probably are in this little bubble that we think, wow, there's so many, you know, good therapists and trainers and, and, and coaches doing all this good stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, there's way more physical therapists, chiropractors and movement coaches that are just doing the same shit. Yeah. Uh, we just don't see them because they're not on social media and they're not attending our out of the box courses because, you know. Not all these courses have CEUs and people are just kind of, they're just getting along, you know, doing, doing the minimum. Yeah.
0: And that's, and those are the people that we're seeking out, right? We're seeking out those people that are really pushing the envelope and learning new stuff and applying it. And, uh, you know, so it's like that whole concept where if you, if you keep thinking about a yellow Volkswagen Beetle, then that's all you're going to see. Right. So that's kind of where the, Mm -hmm. where we're at now. Um, (laughs) so then, uh, You know, you posted, uh, this is all kind of leading to what I originally wanted to talk to you about. You posted a video of you doing a a windmill with a two-pooed kettlebell. And uh, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, you did it and then you started shaking your head a little bit and then you had somebody uh, with markers. So let's talk about what you were doing there because I had a good idea of what was going on, but um, other people were probably like, why the hell is that guy shaking his head? So let's explain
1: that a little bit. Before I give you my answer, what is a pood? Because I've seen that on kettlebells before. It said two pood, and I had no clue what that meant.
0: A pood is, it's a measurement that was made in Russia, I think. And it's, it's mm-hmm. only pertains to kettlebells and a pood is about 35 pounds.
1: And so, okay, cool. All right. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's, I, it's, uh, I've been confused.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's really weird. It only pertains to kettlebells and it doesn't pertain to anything else. So it's a 70 pound kettlebell
1: all right well to start the answer to your real question is i was showing off and i wanted to uh do something cool in progressive motion physical therapy clinic because that's a a clinic i've wanted to go to for a long time yeah it's kind of on my vision board of uh, physical therapy clinics but um but there is reasons that i was doing it um let's kind of go back to months ago when i started doing windmills I was never comfortable with a windmill. I thought with a, a guy with low back pain, I'd probably never do a windmill um, because a lot of, you know, a lot of hinging and rotation. It's, it's, it's a challenging exercise. Right. So back when I used to do it with no weight, I would feel some pain. I'd feel a little uncomfortable doing a windmill. Probably, you know, I, I, in working on my bit, my mobility, my hip mobility, my T-spine mobility has helped, but I would always still feel uncomfortable. So when, To take this into a more of a neurology kind of lens, when we're in a certain position, our brain is getting a lot of information. It's getting information from our muscles, bones, nerves, ligaments, tendons. That's the proprioceptive information. That information is going up to my brain or our brain, telling us where we are in space. Our brain has to decide, is this a threatening position or is this a non-threatening position? I would think early on when I would do these, my brain was probably saying, uh oh, this is a, a little bit of a threatening position for you. I'm going to remind you to be careful by sending pain down to your low back or a little bit of discomfort, just to remind you, be freaking care- careful. Okay? Right. So if I'm trying to get, I want to be able to do a windmill because it, it's, it's kind of a mental win for me, being someone that's you know, recovering from a lot of back pain. So if you want to make your brain or and your body Feel more comfortable in a position. You want to give it as much information as you possibly can. So the way the brain works, in you your brain gets input from your you know, your internal and your external environments. You know proprioceptive input is one I mentioned already. Uh, eyes, uh, visual information, uh, vestibular information, all of those are input. Um, the brain has to decide what that in, this input means. Is it threatening or non-threatening? And your brain uses all this sensory information to predict, make predictions and allow an output. An output could be strength, stiffness, a good movement, bad movement, pain. So my mindset was when I first started doing this, if I get my body proprioceptively in a good windmill position, and then I give it good novel input from other systems of my body, like my visual system and my vestibular system, my brain's gonna have a much more clear information of where I am in space, and it might reduce the level of threat that it feels because it's, it's feeling a little bit safer because it has all this good, safe information. And it might allow for a, a more appealing output, so less pain. Um, you're, I mean, your brain, your brain is in this black box. It has no clue what's going on outside of it. We wouldn't be able to walk through the world without our senses. So I always just figured the more systems that we can layer into our exercises and the more input we can give to the brain, uh, the better the output or the better the movement will be because the brain has a better understanding of where I physically am in space. Cause I, I don't have uh tissue damage in my spine. There's no reason I should have that pain. It's just my brain's not sure about this position. So I'm trying to give it some safety. And then once I can make my brain feel a little bit safer in this windmill position, then then we're going for the resiliency piece and then we're trying to load. And that's why you saw in the video I was doing, you know, 70 pounds, which is the most I've ever done with windmills. And it felt good. I didn't need at that point to do the visual and vestibular exercises because I, I did that work a long time ago. But, you know, in that time I was trying to, you know, uh, make a cool video with some neurology in it, but also it was helping me because that was the first time I have ever had 70 pounds over my head in a windmill. No, sure that that could have uh move in a weird way that could have triggered some pain in, in my in my body and my in my an output of pain so i made sure to hey let's do some vestibular ocular reflex that's when my head was moving or let's do some saccades or saccades when my eyes are switching back and forth that's just me bombarding my brain and my system with lots of input and all of that input goes up to my brain it gives my brain a better awareness of where i am in space and uh and it felt good. Yeah, that's and on the second on the second rep. I closed I closed an eye I, and uh, put a tongue on the a certain side of my mouth, and that's that got a little bit deeper into what we teach at IKN. Yeah. So I'm sure I, a lot of people commented and said, "What the heck are you doing? Why do you look like Popeye?" But uh, that's just a part of what we teach at IKN in terms of uh, our dominant senses and how that interacts uh, or corresponds to our our stress stress responses in, in life.
0: Right, so that's just another way to build variants, right? So, um, yeah, so Mm -hmm. interesting. So, I've been thinking about this word that is very controversial in like the space of manual therapy and that's the word release, right? So, everybody's like, Mm -hmm. what are we releasing? Because we're not releasing fascia, we're not, there's no such thing as knots, there's no such thing as whatever. So, the way that I've been thinking about it is that you're essentially giving your brain a stimulus so if there's a hypertonic Mm -hmm. muscle that is a muscle that your brain has deemed unsafe and so Mm -hmm. in order to make that muscle release quote unquote you need to convince the brain that that muscle is now safe and then it will release its tightness within that muscle right and so that's um, absolutely right so that's when, when, and so that's a word that uh, Andy and I are going to be using in our workshop is release. And so we need to be very articulate in how we explain that because, you know, there's a lot of uh, practitioners out there that we've learned from that are really, you know, counting on us to deliver correct information. And I think that, you know, the, the, it translates to everything. If that muscle is in a sympathetic state, then it's going to be tight and controlled and pulling more proximal so that's what you know uh, a tight hip flexor is or whatever it is it's it's the brain saying hey this hip is unsafe so we're pulling that hip more proximal in order to keep it closer to the trunk and make it more safe and then our job as practitioners is to quote unquote stabilize it or mobilize Mm -hmm. it or strengthen it which is all really the same thing to convince that the brain of safety in within that hip and then allow it to gain more flexibility and mobility,
1: right? Yeah. Are you, are you going to use the word release?
0: We are going to reframe
1: word. the word release.
0: No, we're going to use the word release, and so we're just we're going yeah. with it. <laughs> but we have to. Provide I, I, a- I
1: like the I like the word release. Yeah. If you frame it the way you guys frame it, instead of yeah. releasing, you know, tension, um, I think you you guys can create a, 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 a novel way of of using that term because I, I think patience if you educate them appropriately, will, could get, you know, a a true understanding of what's happening with that word. But I know for so many years, practitioners have misused that word. But I I think that would be, I'd be interested in in taking your course and really learning how, how you, uh, how you really explain the term release. But I like that. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah. Cause you know, one of the first courses I ever took, and this was probably, Seventeen years ago now was uh, the myofascial mm-hmm. release course. And so now we know that you're mm-hmm. not releasing any fascia, that stuff's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Right So it's just, it's just convincing the brain of safety is what my version it's of. Just,
1: it's just another input. Yep, all the stuff we do, all the stuff we do is just another input. Um, and at IKN, we, we address we talk about the inputs, and we also address the processing phase. That's the that middle phase between the input and the output.: Yeah. Um, if our brain is in this disconnected or non-integrated state, it might it might think that nice pressure that you're putting onto it or into the the, the tissue is is threatening. So we try to address both of those phases, right? So it can better it can better interpret uh, the stimulus that you're providing. But absolutely, absolutely,
0: yeah. So I had I, uh, um, I was doing a short little presentation at a gym here in town, and uh, the mm-hmm. guy that was uh, hosting was getting a massage from a therapist and, you know, he came out and then she came out and he was like, God, my leg still, you know, it hurts almost worse. And she was like, okay, well, we went really deep into the tissue. So you're probably just going to have to go home and ice it and maybe put some heat on it later. And I'm like, so what you're saying is, is that you injured him. That's what you're saying. So,
1: like, (laughs) That's when they tell you to drink a bunch of water, right? Right. And so release all the, release all the toxins after your, after your massage.
0: Right. So, you know, the, the deep tissue thing I think is it's, I don't use it a lot, you know, but there's sometimes where I do, but like, for the most part, you're just like, you need to convince the brain that it's safe. And, you know, I think that's a big part of what you guys are preaching and, you know, Rock tape's doing a good job of that. Um, a lot of these yeah. uh, oh, yeah. other, a lot of these other uh, modalities are teaching the same thing: is like teaching you got to convince the nervous system that the the structure is safe. And if you're yeah. going in and attacking it all the time, then that's not the way to go.
1: I mean, why do some people feel amazing after a deep tissue massage, and some people like that felt worse? It's also their past experiences and their expectations. Yeah. Like I could be poking someone really, really hard and it's going to hurt. But if you have an expectations uh, or, or expectations that it's a beneficial input or stimulus and you've had past experiences with good massage therapists that push on you hard, but then you felt better, then that pain while you're getting pushed on will be different. And your response to it after will be different. So past experiences in in rehab and exercise are, and massage and manual therapy are all so important. Yeah. And setting those expectations before you touch someone uh, and educating them appropriately is, is absolutely invaluable. It's so important. Right. Because mm. for years I knew like uh, three, four years ago, I knew that the, like a rock blade was good. I had, a, you know, uh, people therapists that I respect use them. I really like rock tape as well and they're using it, but I didn't know how to educate the person. So I knew I wasn't breaking up adhesions. I knew I wasn't releasing things, but I still wasn't sure how to explain it to them. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do this. It's uh, maybe I'm distracting your brain, and I think that's actually kind of a good explanation for some of this stuff. Yeah. But um, you have to be able to frame it so that they understand, and they uh, you're setting their expectations, and and uh, you know, talking about their past experiences with other clinicians. It's all it's all so important. Really, the moral of the story here is everything's important. Right. We have to we have to look at everything and, and, and can't just neglect things. Yeah. And I mean in, in acute injuries, maybe you can get away with neglecting some of those other systems or or you know, life stressors a little bit. But guess what? You neglect those for for certain for only so long until that acute injury became a chronic injury. And then you're gonna have to address them and you're gonna have to, a lot of you're gonna have a lot of catching up to do. So I try right. to address more of the you know, the, the social and the emotional part and the other senses, in addition to the tissues, because obviously they're important right. as uh, trainers and coaches, we need to address them. But if we can address more, then we're just getting more bang for our buck. And that's really the way I look at things.
0: Right. So with your population, I'm guessing that the, the visual and uh, vestibular resets are really important.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, Home health was never something I I thought I was going to get into. It was the one field in PT school, uh, the one setting that I didn't ever want to do a clinical rotation on. Um, I never thought it would be fun uh, or stimulating for me mentally to work with the older adults. And I was totally wrong. You know, I I went to home health because I was really tired of these uh, contract jobs because I'm a traveling therapist. You get contract jobs, which are usually the jobs that they're having trouble staffing or small towns. So all my outpatient physical therapy jobs were, you know, 25, 30 people a day. And it was, you know, I wasn't really helping anyone, no time with them. Right. I thought I was going to switch to home health for just a few months, just to, you know, as a reset for me, I learned to like it because you can make a pretty big impact on people and especially through the visual and vestibular system, because I like to say what I do now working with uh, people of advanced age is I'm stimulating the chronically unstimulated. Right. Um, that could be from a physical perspective of you know they're just kind of maybe doing a little bit of walking and sitting on their sitting on their ass in their recliner watching uh, TV all day. so I'm stimulating them I'm handing them a kettlebell, having them do a little bit of weight training, stimulating them to you know gain some gain a little strength. You'd be surprised how quick someone 90 years old can gain strength if you give them the right stimulus. I also think I'm stimulating the chronically understimulated other senses as well I think of it. You, you meet someone in their 90s, your grandmother or grandfather, probably been wearing glasses for a long time. Their, their neck's stiffs. They're probably not moving their neck very much. Uh, based on what I said about their glasses, a lot of their world is right in, right in front of them, not really out in the outer ranges of their visual field. So if you think of the brain, and we've learned in the last 15, 20 years that the brain is plastic, it can change. If we provide it novel stimulus or new experiences. So just by getting someone to look out of their, you know, their right in front of them visual their visual field, having them do novel eye exercises or vestibular drills in and, and have them weight train and get into odd positions, man, it, I've been seeing I've been seeing people that probably a lot of physical therapists would give up on or hand them a couple of seated exercises. I've been seeing so much change. And people at the oldest of years, because we're, I'm, all I'm doing is just giving them some stimulation that they never had before. And uh, I've learned to love it. You know? mm-hmm. and people look at me like I'm a little crazy sometimes, but that's really just helped me hone in my education process. If you can educate a 95-year-old man or woman on <laughs> the brain in neuroscience, even if it's in its most simplest form, and they can say it back to you, there's nothing more rewarding or nothing. Nothing makes me feel feel. Uh, it makes me feel so good, kind of about myself that I I I have a uh, enough of an understanding now that I can educate someone like that and they can actually understand it and use it in their lives and teach it to their friends. That that's really rewarding for me. So definitely, I I am stimulating the chronically unstimulated with with this population, and I think with this population, it's more important than any population.
0: Yeah, and that's man, and I think it starts early too. I had, there's one guy specifically on my fight team, he was 35 years old and he kept telling me he was too old for this shit. Like, what are you talking about? You're 35, you know? So then there's all these people that start saying that when they're in their, their late thirties, early forties, but then by the time that they get to that age, they've been doing nothing for that much longer. Right. So like,
1: yeah, yeah, it's hard to, Hard to get it back, but you can at least put a little effort in there
0: getting it back. Right. So but then you know, like teaching them, you know, a novel stimulus also stimulates their brain and creates new neuron growth and then gives them more brain health and, and builds longevity in that too. So that's like it's a win-win for everybody. And you know, the one thing that I've been talking about a lot is like uh, you know, they're the oldest people in the world are these these Asian populations that are on the ground constantly no matter what. You know, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, 90, even 100 years old, sleeping on the ground, eating on the ground, watching TV on the ground, whatever it is. So that's no longer a scary place for them. Whereas like right. in America, the older we get, the further away from the ground we go. And the more frail that we are led to believe that we are. But if you, you know, there's like those videos coming out of these these Asian guys like doing bar muscle ups and all this crazy shit and they're like 80 90 years old it's crazy so like it's all in your head and if you just you know don't put limits on yourself and keep you know doing something within reason then it'll benefit you in the long run you know that's why i think uh, yeah. uh perry Nickelston's uh anti-fragile matrix is so beneficial for people
1: oh the fall matrix i use it yeah. all the time if they're yeah. if they're down for it we're doing it yeah um but yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, without a doubt. Um, you know, the, those countries that you're talking about, they have movement practice in their culture, right? So it's, they are, I mean, you go, I lived in San Jose last year, and uh, a lot of, I mean, it's a very, very diverse place, Silicon Valley, and I would be driving around to my home health clients, who were, uh, you know, a lot of the times, the, the white people that didn't move their whole life. Yeah. And, you know, they're bed bound, but I'm driving around, I'm driving past parks and I'm seeing uh, just huge groups of elderly Asian people doing Tai Chi and things like that. And, and walking miles at, after meals. That's a part of their culture. And, and that's why I'm seeing so many, so many uh people from those cultures, healthier and happier in their later years. Yeah. Definitely in San Jose. I, I saw a lot of that. I saw uh, Chinese or Japanese men who, We're in their nineties and you could have told me they were 60. I wouldn't even know the difference because exercise for them wasn't this chore that where they had to go to the gym. It's just a part of their culture. And uh, I think that's so valuable. And I hope, I hope in the United States, we get to the point, I don't know when it's going to happen, but if we can get to the point where movement is a part of the culture. And I I think uh, very, very slowly, we might be going in that direction. I think there's been studies even in the last two years showing that strength or resistance training, uh, has such a big impact on your quality of life and your all call, all cause mortality. So I'm hoping that doctors start recommending that stuff, but it's an uphill battle because when your MD recommends strength training, who's he going to send you to? Who knows? He right. might send you to one of those personal trainers that's going to have you stand on a Bosu ball, or a physical therapist that's not going to load you at all. So hopefully, the more uh, people in our professions learn and and learn what's really important. Uh, we'll we'll be going in that direction but i feel like it's going to be a pretty slow climb making exercise and resistance training a part of our culture in the united states
0: yeah so i think the biggest hurdle right now is the 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 intensity aspect of it because i feel like everybody feels like they don't get a workout unless it's like super intense and they're lying on the ground rolling around in puddle of sweat, you know? So then they yeah. like, cause I have friends that, you know, quit CrossFit, but then go to Orange Theory and then quit, quit Orange Theory and go to some other like high intensity interval training thing. You know what I mean? So like intensity isn't important. Athleticism is important. And I think that um, gyms make you less athletic, you know? So like my whole mm-hmm. thing right now is, the gym is the space where you acquire skill and acquire strength to go do the stuff you want to do outside, which is like riding your bike or hiking or running or, you know, basketball, baseball, softball, whatever it is. I, Oh man, I could go down a rant on softball. That is the craziest sport ever (laughs) because like none of those people train for it ever. They'd never train for it. And then once a year, they do like five games in a day. And then like 10 games mm-hmm. in a weekend are like, why am I injured? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> how did you keep yeah. getting injured? That's amazing. Like, it's amazing if you don't, because like, you know, you should be training for softball, especially if you're playing more than professional baseball players do.
1: you yeah, get out of that casual plane.
0: Right. So, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. We're, uh, I think we're moving in the right direction. I just think that, uh, going to take a lot of work to get there and especially with this this uh i call it the age of information but you could call it like the age of distraction where people can just you know have a hard day and Mm -hmm. and go play video games or watch you know binge watch game of thrones or whatever it is instead of you know going outside and playing with their kids or whatever you know like i was uh uh talking to um another friend of mine who she's a personal trainer who specializes in pregnant women and women that are postpartum. And, you know, just like she's training them as like a family unit to like play and hang out with their child. You know what I mean? Like
1: it's, yeah, who, who's your friend?
0: Her name's uh, uh, Colleen Flaherty.
1: Yeah. Colleen. I know Colleen.
0: Oh, uh, do you?
1: Yeah. I met Colleen in, in Rochester, New York.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, when I was in
1: physical therapy school, I was studying for my board exam, and I, I saw this girl next to me uh, doing a podcast talking about uh, postpartum and pregnant women, and I just started talking to her, and yeah, and she's killing it over there in San Diego. Yeah, she's doing a
0: great job. It's really, but she was really fun to talk to, and um, uh, you know, uh, do you know, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you know Doctor uh, Ben Ramos, uh, uh, Flowforce Rehab? Uh, he's out you of San. Diego follow my Instagram yeah yeah so um i've become really good friends with him i met him at a a dns course up in portland and you know Mm -hmm. every time i fly out to san diego i try and see him but there was one time he was um he was assisting dr philip snell with a fix your own back course in phoenix while i was flying Mm -hmm. out to san diego for a course so we just decided to meet up at the airport in phoenix and hang out and uh, he brought another uh, doctor of chiropractic uh, with him uh, dr sebastian gonzalez And, uh, we ended up just walking around the airport and there was all these, you know, really overweight people just being super frustrated at their kids because their kids just either are waiting to get on an airplane or just got off of an airplane and just been sitting and they're just action packed full of energy Mm -hmm. and they're just all fat and lazy, not doing anything about it. And towards the end, we were walking towards um, my gate and there was one mom that was just like chasing her kid around the terminal. And I was like, that's how you do it. That's how, like, if you want to be fit and you have children, make them tired. Because then you'll be. Yeah, well, she was
1: doing it intentionally is what you're saying. Right.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? So like, if your kid is driving you crazy, fucking make them work. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a pretty simple thing. Like if they're misbehaving in class at school, it's because they're just sitting in a chair and that's doesn't, that's not helpful for anybody. Like, we've all been there.
1: Yeah, you know, little kids in elementary school are kind of like the older adults that I see in their houses. They're yeah. unstimulated. And an unstimulated child in development could disguise itself or look like an actual neurological problem. Right. But uh, if, you've ever read, if you've ever read about the more holistic approach to treating kids with those types of neurological things like ADD and all that stuff, it's really a brain problem from uh, an asymmetry in, in how their development happened and the stimulation that occurred um, through their senses and through their movement, through their, through their mind, through what they ate and how that created some sort of asymmetry in their brain. So again, again it, it goes back to we need to be stimulated and yeah. uh, as, as much of us as we can needs to be stimulated regardless of our age. But especially in the beginning and especially the end, right?
0: Right, and that's why I love these movement courses so much. Is because everybody's sitting on the ground and and we teach for a little bit and then we move for a little bit and then teach for a little bit and then move for a little bit and then you know it's just uh
1: yeah, yeah. it's just the
0: way to go. And that's another thing I was talking to Colleen about, like why is it weird for adults to play? You know, like why is it weird for like it shouldn't be weird. We should just be able to just go play and, and and be free of judgment because that's how we become athletic, and that's how we become fit, you know, and it's just for some reason there's like a certain age where it's just no longer acceptable, and I think that's odd.
1: yeah we, we get too serious, and we start overthinking things, and yeah you know, all these things we're talking about lead you and down the same route, right. It's not a good route It's, it's a poor quality of life route, right. Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I like like I said, I'm I'm not very athletic. So playing, uh there's some mental barriers sometimes for me with playing things. Yeah. Or especially with other people. But I'm really good at playing by myself. <laughs> that sounds, right. That sounds funny. But <laughs> I, I am that guy. I'm that guy in the middle of a you know, a uh big chain gym, rolling around the floor and just doing crazy shit. Yeah. And I think that's that's that was big for me in my recovery, just not caring what other people think. Right. getting rid of my ego when i'm barbell lifting moving my body in all types of ways as perry would say rolling around the floor the floor is safe you know yeah. your brain feels pretty safe when you're when you're just flip-flopping on the floor or whatever 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 he does
0: right and right it's now Important. yeah right now i'm the 37 year old 230 pound man just slamming a basketball into the backboard of a basketball hoop <laughs> that's <laughs> what i'm doing raindrops <laughs> yep <laughs> oh, oh my yeah my friend oh yeah <laughs> i feel like that's a good place to end it uh let's uh <laughs> let's uh, tell people where they can find you
1: oh uh, yeah i'm uh my instagram handle is sam hodus s a m h o d o u s underscore physio um i do see people uh on a concierge physical therapy basis in phoenix but i'll probably only be only here for the end of uh, summer, but uh, I'm teaching with IKN, Integrative Kinetic Neurology. Our website is ikneurology.com, and we have courses all around the world right now, so that would be probably the best place. Other than that, follow me on Instagram and maybe attend one of our courses, and we really do give you the tools to to have a, a much bigger impact on people in chronic pain, and, and uh, everyone, really, but that, I would say that would be the population that really we give you some really good tools
0: right on and um, uh, where are you going next do you have an idea
1: i'm not sure i might be headed uh, east I've, I've done a lot on the west side the west coast uh, i might be headed to virginia at oh, the end of the summer right on it's gotta be a little closer to a little closer to ohio but i'm not ready to go back to the snow
0: right on that snow so hard dude <laughs> but yeah. you know, joe rogan says that's why california is full of a bunch of assholes it's because they don't have to deal with adversity in the weather
1: yeah, so if you do live in Arizona or California, <laughs> please take your morning uh, cold showers to build some resiliency.
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs>
1: but I, 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 don't know if, I don't know if I went back to Cleveland. I don't know if I'd still do my morning cold showers or they'd be few and far between. Dude, A lot I harder just, to do.
0: I just bought an ice bath for my backyard. I can't do the cold shower thing. I'd do it for like 30 seconds. I'm like, cool, that's enough. But like the ice bath, I'll sit in there for 10 or 15 minutes. Um what books That's are you good reading for right you. now? Yeah, it is good. <laughs> what books um, are
1: you Um right now, uh let's see. I am reading Starting Strength.
0: Okay.
1: Which is a book that I probably should have read a long time ago, but I'm just hitting it uh, hitting it up right now. Uh I just finished uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People in the Digital Age, mm. which is a, a classic. Um I'm going through Danny Mate's Fuck Insurance. Yeah. Uh, I told myself early on in my career, after I was done as a traveling physical therapist, I am never going to work for someone else. So um, I'm thinking about that right now and how to how to get that started. But it, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you my absolute favorite book recommendation on this podcast, um, and it's called "Back in Control" by Dr. David Hanscom. Uh, the by far the most influential book uh, in Treating patients, especially treating patients with chronic pain, Uh, it's called Back in Control. Right. That that is a that is an excellent book. It's written by a a spine surgeon that his whole career he was doing the most complex spine surgeries ever. Uh, He realized years into his career that his success rate was like two or three percent, and he just kind of dove into uh, developing a system that that addresses more of the reasons, the actual reasons that we have pain and it's such a good book i'd really recommend it to everybody right on awesome
0: all right well thank you so much for taking the time i appreciate it
1: my pleasure man nice talking to you
0: nice talking to you and we'll talk to you soon